I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Hello, everyone. Have you all questioned if La La Land deserved to be nominated for Best Picture? Or perhaps debated if Quentin Tarantino is actually overrated? Or challenged others by asking, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Well, here on the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast, we ask those questions and more with the help of fellow film enthusiasts. Who's we? Well, I'm Zach Rancourt, and with me today is my friend, Amanda J. Stern. I might not be a a certified film critic, I know she is, or have my own column in The New Yorker, but the only thing I love more than cinema is talking about it. So, Amanda Jane Stern, so great to see you. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I always love coming on this podcast. Yeah, I love having you. It's it's super fun. We we've had some fun discussions. Um, the the haunting, which still haunts <laughs> me for how terrible it was, so bad. And the Silence of the Lambs, which is such a good movie, and I'm so glad we we rewatched exactly. it. Exactly. We you know we we kind of made up for the haunting by doing Silence. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Do you want to just briefly for anybody who hasn't uh, who hasn't listened to the show or doesn't know who you are, just kind of give a little insight on who you are. Yeah. Okay. So as Zach said, my name is Amanda Jane Stern. I am a writer, actor, and producer based in Brooklyn, New York. I have a feature film that I wrote, produced, and starred in called Perfectly Good Moment, which is an erotic thriller that will be a sneak preview at the San Francisco Indie Film Fest in February, and then hopefully more fests after that. And I am working on a new film that I will keep under wraps for now. Ooh, love it. I'm I'm very excited. And our friend Lauren Greenhall, also uh, part of that process for Perfectly Good Moment. Um, mm-hmm. I am excited to talk to the both of you about it when I when I see it. Oh, and yeah. congratulations to to everything to all your endeavors and your adventures. Thank you. So I'm excited because we, we started with a a bad movie and then we went to a good movie with Silence of the Lambs and then we come back to another good movie. We're going to be talking about uh, 9 to 5 from 1980. And as soon as I say 9 to 5, of course, everybody's going to have that ding, 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 ding. Yeah, so that that titular theme song, so good. Miss Dolly Parton sang it. Um, but yeah, this is my first viewing of nine to five. Actually, I've known about it in pop culture. I just have never had an opportunity to see it. But the film was directed by Colin Higgins, who did foul play the best little whorehouse in Texas, and actually wrote Harold and Maude. Um, we did Harold and Maude on this podcast years ago. And I loved that movie so much. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was lovely. Um, and, and just darkly funny. Uh, it was also written by Colin Higgins and Patricia Resnick, and it stars Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Dolly Parton, Dabney Coleman, and Elizabeth Wilson. Critically, on IMDb, it's pretty solid, 6.9 out of 10, and uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's better though, 82% tomato meter for the critics and 74% audience score, so it, hail, it hails as a good film. Um, I watched it on HBO Max. Amanda, how did you watch it? Yeah, HBO Max. Great. Um, I would love to buy this if I found a copy of it. I might just purchase it because it's just a fun movie. The budget. Yeah, the budget is $10 million uh, or was $10 million in US and Canada. It grossed total $103.2 million Uh, for opening weekend, which was December 21st, 1980. It grossed almost $4 million worldwide. Again, 103.2 
3.2, something like that million. A um, couple of fun facts about this. This was Dolly Parton's theatrical film debut. In preparation for her role as Dora Lee Rhodes, she, she not only committed to memory her own part, but the parts of every other role in the film. Apparently, the two experienced starring actresses, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda, burst out laughing when Parton let on that she believed that pictures were filmed in chronological order of a film script. Oh, Dolly. <laughs> if only it was that, that easy, right? Yeah, if only it was that easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, the first female dominated film to gross a hundred million dollars. And I think that is awesome, especially in 1980, right? So 43 years ago, a, a pretty big, uh, success yeah. story. Now it'd probably be like, what is that? Like 250 million, give or take, but that's yeah. a big, um, and, and no, it's a lot of money, especially on the budget that it had. Oh, absolutely. It crushed it. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, Lily Tomlin stole the porch swing from her character's house, the one she's sitting on while she tells her fantasy about offing the boss, and hung it up in her yard. She didn't protect it, though, and it rotted over the years. Fonda stole the Riddle Rat box of rat poison that just looks like skinny, whatever it's called. <laughs> sweet and skinny? Sweet and, sweet and skinny, which is sweet and low, basically. But yeah, it's like, except for the skull and cro- crossbones. That's the, that's the one thing. <laughs> I mean, if you're not looking at... It is easy. Why oh was the rat poison right there in the kitchen? That's a different question. I, I know. I was like, wait a minute. What? When she pulled out of her purse, I'm like, is this a fever dream? She just has rat poison in her purse. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. Um, so for anyone who hasn't seen 9 to 5, here is a uh, spoiler field synopsis. You can go ahead and skip ahead about three minutes. Um, and here we go. Reserved former housewife Judy Burnley s- starts work as a secretary at Consolidated Companies under the supervision of experienced and sharp-tongued widow Violet Newstead. Both work under the egotistical sexist vice president Franklin Hart, whom Violet once trained and who spreads the false rumor that he and his attractive married secretary, Doralee Rhodes, are having an affair. When Hart turns down Violet for a promotion, Violet reveals to Dora Lee the rumor about the affair, leading both women to take the afternoon off drinking at a local bar. Judy joins them after hearing or after learning of the dismissal of a friendly coworker. Unable to think of a way to improve the situation, they spend the evening smoking marijuana at Dora Lee's house and fantasizing about how they would get revenge on Hart. Judy would shoot him like a hunter does a deer. Dora Lee would hogtie him and roast him over a slow fire, while Violet would poison his coffee. The next day, a frustrated Violet accidentally puts rat poison in Hart's coffee. But before he can drink it, his desk chair malfunctions and he blacks out after hitting his head on a credenza. Violet realizes her mistake and thinks the poison coffee caused Hart to black out. She and Judy meet Dorley at the hospital just in time to overhear a doctor pronounce a man dead from poisoning. Thinking the dead man is Hart, Violet steals the body to prevent the performing, them per, from performing an autopsy. But while arguing with Judy and Dorley, she crashes her car, damaging a fender. When Doralee retrieves a tire iron from the trunk to fix the fender, she discovers the body is not Hart and they return it to the hospital. The next morning, Hart shocks the women when he arrives to work as usual. In the ladies' room, Doralee explains that Hart hit his head but did not drink the coffee. Relieved that nothing will come over the night's events, the ladies agree to meet up for happy hour at the end of the day. However, Hart's loyal administrative assistant, Roz, overhears their conversation and reports everything back to Hart. Hart summons Dora Lee to his office and offers her a choice. If he spends the night with him, he will not report her, Judy and Violet, for the attempted murder. Dora Lee refuses, and when Hart refuses to hear her out, she ties him up and stuffs the scarf he had given her as a gift in his mouth to keep him quiet. Hart eventually gets loose, which leads Judy to shoot at him with Dora Lee's handgun. 
Ultimately, the women discover Hart has been selling consolidated inventory and pocketing the proceeds, so they blackmail him into keeping quiet. When they are told that invoices Violet ordered that should prove Hart's crimes will not arrive for four to six weeks, they confine Hart to his bedroom wearing a hang gliding suit tied to her remote control garage door opener. Brilliant. While Hart is out of the office... They implement several programs that are popular with the workers, including an an in-office daycare, equal pay for men and women, flexible hours, and a job sharing program where employees can work part time. Days days before the invoices arrive, Hart's adoring wife returns from a cruise and frees him, giving him the time to buy back the inventory he sold. Before Hart can report Judy, Dorley, and Violet to the police, the chairman of the board, Russell Tinsworthy, arrives to meet with Hart. He congratulates him on his improvements in the office, which have resulted in a 20% increase in productivity. As a result, he invites Hart to join him on a multi-year project in Brazil, and Hart reluctantly is forced to accept. Violet, Judy, and Doralee celebrate their success. Violet is eventually promoted to vice president. Judy leaves Consolidated to marry the Xerox representative. And Dora Lee also leaves to become a country western singer. Hart is kidnapped by a tribe of Amazons and is never heard from again. So that is nine to five. Um, What a way to make a living. So, Amanda, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, have you personally ever dealt with a, a boss like Mr. Hart in real life? What happened and how did you figure it all out? Not a boss, but other co-workers or clients, yes. Um, back when I was like 17, 18, 19, I had a summer job working at an insurance company, um, just filing things. Um, and the company shared an office floor and office space with an investment firm. And as you can imagine, everyone in the investment firm, except for secretary, was men. Everyone in the insurance (laughs) office that I worked for, except for a receptionist, was women. Um, And I remember one day I was filing things in these, we had these massive drawer filing cabinets uh, with, you know, thousands and thousands of papers because these were the, the days when you still put claims in an actual piece of paper in an envelope. And these drawers were pretty high up, so I had to stand on a, a stepladder because I'm 5'2". Um, and I'm filing things, and all of a sudden I hear, damn, I didn't know we had a pinup in the office. And I look over, <laughs> and it's the, like, 60-something-year-old, you know, executive of the financial office and you know, I'm 18 and I I'm just standing there thinking I have no idea what the fuck to do in this scenario. So I I think, you know, I, I did the Dora Lee thing where you just kind of like, ha ha and brush it off. And then I think women today would react very differently, but this was over a decade ago now. Mm -hmm. And I was the youngest person in the office. And so some other woman says to me, you know, maybe you shouldn't dress like that. I'm like, no, maybe he shouldn't do that. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, we don't have a dress code. It is 105 degrees outside because of this hot garbage summer. I'm just wearing shorts and a t-shirt. That's it. To to tell someone, I mean, that they shouldn't wear something is is pretty pretty ridiculous, if you ask me. 
Um, the only time you could ever really say it is if, yeah, you're like, like if I, if I go to the gym and I'm wearing nothing, if I'm wearing shorts and like a really small tank top, I'm like, why are like guys looking at me or why are like people looking at me? It's like, well, cause they probably think you're a weirdo, but also like you draw that attention upon yourself. But in the sense of like right. an office, you probably went in in normal clothes. Completely and so normal. It's not to, like I was walking around in my bathing suit. That would be weird. That's not appropriate, yeah. you know, attire for a place that isn't the beach, tanning, yeah. the pool, but it was. And sure, if this were an office that had a dress code that said, you know, you have to wear business casual, that would be a different story. But it didn't. Everyone mm -hmm. was in shorts and t-shirts. Yeah. And to shame people, to shame victims by what they're wearing is so ridiculous. It's, and it's, it's not so shaming ridiculous. someone for what they're wearing. It's sharing them for having a body that looks a certain way, you know. And, and this started happening to me when I was in high school that, you know, the girls who had curves, who had butts, who had already started growing boobs, would get picked on more for dress code infractions that weren't really there just because clothes fit your body a different way than someone who hasn't developed yet. Oh. And it's such a stupid thing to mm -hmm. learn and to know that like, okay, well, if I wear these pants, it's going to be too tight and my butt's going to look too revealing to adult men. What? Oh, God, I didn't, you know, I never even thought about that. Cause again, you know, I'm, I'm a white male, so I never, I mean, I have privilege and I've never had to experience that. Whereas uh, an administrator has been like, Hey, your pants are too tight and your, your, your butt's drawing too yep. much attention. I've and had so, that happen a few times. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. And, and like, then it's, it's, yeah. you'd see girls wear things that were exactly the same, but because it fell lower on her legs because her butt wasn't big. Mm. he wasn't looking at her ass the way he was at mine because it's like, well, it looks shorter. Wow. Mm -hmm. Objectifying any, any coworker, male, female, dog, cat, whatever they, they may be objectifying anybody in a workplace is not okay. And I'm glad that that has changed. Unfortunately, it still is. Uh, it still exists in the workplace. Oh, yeah. I have some much more recent um, stories then. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Spill, spill oh, yeah. as, mu was, as much as you want. I was at a, and these are more like, client people. Um, but I was at a work event and there was a guy who was not with my company, but he was a client who immediately decided that he liked me. Um, so of course, you know, as any classy 50 year old guy does starts talking about <laughs> his wife and how much he hates her. Oh, and, you know, boy. maybe I'll be his second wife. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and, you know, the, the soccer mom, like, I'll stop working. I'm like, I'm sorry. You think I'm going to be a soccer mom? Oh, man. I, I'll go do jazz hands. You do not know me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, I'm. where do you think this is okay? Why? Why, <sighs> why, why does that cross your mind? What makes you think, yes, this is how I'm going to talk to a woman I am just meeting. I don't know her. You know? Yeah. And you know, it's it's so interesting because like when I was dating around a bunch, I was using online dating and whatever. But I think one thing because I would talk to, you know, my dates or even just my friends who went on dates with with men or women or whoever. And I'd ask kind of specifically about men, what kind of stuff are you seeing? And I think that online dating has been fantastic. I found my girlfriend right. through online dating and I, I, I am very, very happy. Like we're happy together. But um, 
one thing I notice is a lot of them would say, you know, everybody is, they want to have the conversations behind the keyboard and they seem more comfortable behind that than they do in real life. And so a lot of times inversely to the situation, kind of like what you're saying now, a lot of people will send a dick pic right away or these things where there's no repercussion that you can't, you can't, you can't whip your dick out in public. I mean, you can, but you're going to get arrested. But now those creeps, that 50 year old guy who wants a soccer mom is hiding behind a keyboard and is like, Hey baby, like, do you want to bang or something? And it's like, dude, if you were, if you were, if if it was nowadays and that happened, you're going to get slapped in the face. Yeah. Some Um, um, old guy once sent me nudes. He, who, he found me on LinkedIn. I've never actually been on a dating app because I've uh, been with my fiance for 11 years. So that predates most of the dating apps, (laughs) all of the phone ones. Um, But some old guy found me on LinkedIn and decided to email me his nudes. Oh my gosh. What an asshole. Just I, like, <laughs> what? Yeah, what an asshole. Like LinkedIn, a, a, a website, a social media website mm-hmm. for, for careers, and he does that shit. Yep. That's so I've had stupid. other people hit on me on LinkedIn, but he's he's the worst. He's the the prime offender, the what on earth, dude. Ugh. I worked at, when I was in college, I worked at this gas station. It was a convenience store, um, and there was a little coffee shop outside. Uh, and there were three gals that worked there, and they were really cute, and they were super nice. And, um, you know, I kind of was like their brother, even though I was only a few years older than them. Older than them, I would always, like, be a protector. I thought I would be, at least. Anyways, we had new management move in, and there was a manager that came in. And I remember he was he confided with me. We were, all, we were stocking some stuff one time, and he's like, oh, man. He's like, Brittany, she sure is hot. And I just kind of look at him, and he was really gross like just a really gross man and i didn't say anything i was like this guy this creep and she she came in and we were talking and then she left and he's like yeah she's just really hot and i'm like dude you're like three times her age it's because he thought as another dude you were gonna yeah like fist bump him or something exactly um it was really gross i didn't feel comfortable with it and i kind of just looked at him and i mean nowadays i'd probably say something but then this is you know 2000 and I think eight, I didn't say shit, uh, but it's it. Yep. <laughs> I, I can't imagine being a woman in the in the workforce like that and, and ha- having to, to deal with that. I would probably just wear a potato sack wherever I go. Honestly, so. <laughs> that doesn't change anything. I, I did try an experiment where I'd go out and like, you know, baggy cargo pants and baggy things. Nope. Oh, still, still get hit on. It does not change anything. Oh, man. Well, so I figured, well, I'm just going to dress the way I fucking want to dress anyway if I could wear a plastic bag and still get treated that way. Yeah, fair enough. Might as well wear a really nice plastic bag at that point. Exactly. <laughs> so I, like I told you, this is my first viewing of this film. And I and I mean, I knew about it and I absolutely adored it. I had so much fun with this movie. I thought it was funny. It was somewhat realistic with the topical issues like we were talking about. Um, and it just had a fun message for women empowerment. Uh, there was a glaringly obvious thing that was hanging above the film, though, for me. And I think that, you know, so I'm a white male um, and I've never and never will be in a situation in the workplace that women have faced for decades. One of the craziest things about this movie is that we're still seeing that stuff happen. Equal pay, um, mm-hmm. the lack of resources for for daycare, the non-flexible work uh, stations, people getting promotions uh, above others who are less qualified so on and so forth trying to force people back into offices trying to force to people on the computer exactly when you can be more productive at mm-hmm. home the list goes on and on so my question is this the film was directed by colin higgins a man 
was this the correct move? Or does this film need to be directed by a woman to really solidify its authenticity for women empowerment? I wasn't bothered by it being directed by a man. I think, you know, there are lots of guys who are great allies and it depends on, it's also who's telling the story, who's producing it. And I know that Jane Fonda specifically hired him. So, you know, she definitely had some level of comfort with him already. There was a woman who was a co-screenwriter, you said, um, you know, women were behind the production of this. So I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm necessarily bothered there. I think he did a very good job. Do I think that a woman might have brought more anger because it, it was actually, you know, talking about something that she would have dealt with and, and you might have had, and it might have gone a little further in, in certain aspects? Yeah, so, I mean, I can sit here and I could try to write a movie and talk about like women's suffrage or, or things like that. Um, I look at successful films like Thelma and Louise or even Kill Bill, which were directed by men, but I would argue that they're female empowerment, woman mm-hmm. empowerment movies, right? Um, you know, I absolutely love Thelma and Louise. I think it's such a well done movie. And I mean, Harvey Keitel sums it up best in that he's like, you know, they deserve more than this. Like they deserve a chance, these women, and everyone's out to get them. And so um, I think that as a guy, I don't feel I could give the best representation of what you would go through on a daily basis or trying to rise up. I could do my best, but is that going to appeal to women or is it going to um, do it justice? Yeah, I think it depends on who the guy is that, you know, here we had a case where he was someone who was writing with a woman that the women involved in the film and involved in getting the film made were already really comfortable with him. So I think this is where you have a case where, you know, it it's an entire team. This isn't just one person's ultimate vision kind of trumping everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patricia Resnick uh, was a co-writer for it. Exactly. And so that that helped a lot where she could probably fill in. Like he probably had some good foundational stuff. And then she's like, well, let's do this, this and this. And he's like, oh, OK. And the whole idea was Jane Fonda's. Oh, really? So I didn't know that. So she okay. went to a political gathering that was um, a bunch of secretaries, women in the workforce, where they were sharing all of these stories and talking about all of these issues. And she said, this is awful. So Mm -hmm. she brought um, Colin in and said, I I learned about this. Let's make a movie about this. And she had this Mm -hmm. company that produced the movie. And their goal was to take real issues um, that the general public faced and and turn them into accessible films. So, you know, comedies, things like that, so that maybe something could be done. Because if you put it in the form of a of a comedy and not a TV movie of the week issue piece, then not only are people are laughing along, but they're thinking, wait a minute, hold up, that's my boss. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Their ideas about changing the workplace, those are good ideas, actually. Yeah. I mean, man or woman, anybody's going to mm-hmm. be happy with the changes they made, like uh, salary in- increase, the shared uh, pay yeah. time or whatever, shared work time, basically like a flex work schedule. They made it an inclusive workspace. Oh, so much. You can have whatever you want on your desk. And it's like, yeah, of course, it's going to make people happy. And they were saying this in 1980. And yep. it took them until 2020 for them to be like, oh, yeah, you can work from home and, and you can have fun at your desks. Well, but even like even like office clothing, like did you have an office? 
office job previously? Like, have you ever worked mm-hmm. in? Uh, yeah. So, like, you know, you go into certain places and they're very old school. It's like all tattoos need to be covered. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be a cop for a long time, and one of the hangups was no tattoos. Right? You need to be very white that's bread. So stupid. Exactly, and that's what I think about all the time. I'm like, the way someone's hair looks and the way that they dress and the and the tattoos they have on their body will never ever. Uh, deter from the good work that they could Mm -hmm. possibly do for your company. And it it blows me away that, you know, companies are like, we want good quality candidates. Okay, then hire these people because you're missing out on a lot of those opportunities based on how they're dressed and and some of their their lifestyle choices. It's like, swallow your pride, hire good people, no matter matter who they are. The office that I worked in, I was there for a few years, didn't really have a, a strict dress code. It was, you know, don't show up in pajamas, basically. But don't wear anything that would be considered inappropriate. Don't show up in, you know, summer clothes when it's winter. Yeah. But that's just a dumb <laughs> idea anyway. But they didn't really have, have any uh, strict dress code. Yeah. Or else old six-year-old men will make comments about you. Pervert. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, I mean, I didn't even talk about the creepy guys there. So. Oh, gosh. I, I can't imagine. I have too many stories. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, so I mean, I think that you know there there are some amazing films out there too, though that I consider you know very uh, woman forward empowerment, all that kind of stuff. And I, I mean, I, movies like Lady Bird, and I love Greta Gerwig. I think she's a fantastic director. The Piano, Jane Campion. Um, I mean, that movie was so good. I remember watching it in film class and just being blown away by the cinematography. And that was before I really even knew how to express cinematography. Um, she's fantastic. So there are tons of options out there. Um, it's cool to see, especially now, this renaissance in, in filmmaking. Uh, but I I just thought of the, the the issue with Colin Higgins being a man directing this, and I thought it was quite interesting. And it is something that I typically do now when I see a movie that's like, we want girl power. And it's like, well, who's directing it? It's like, well, if it's this guy, then I mean, I, I don't know if it cheapens it or not. So. And there are definitely some male directors who, if they are going to direct something that is sort of supposed to be a feminist movie and I see their name as the director I just think yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. nope yeah. nope not from you Mr. Sexualizing Teenagers nope you're <laughs> exactly. not the right voice here yeah um, that's that's what I mean so uh, we'll just have to kind of kind of see how it all plays out but um, okay well so could you could you ever see this movie being remade for modern times I know we talked a lot about modern times but um we're all about remakes and reboots because apparently we've run out of ideas. So if they were to remake it, who would you see cast as Judy, Violet, and Doralee? I don't want to remake it. God, <laughs> I really – I have my theory on remakes is remake things that had really interesting concepts but didn't necessarily work. Like remake 1932's The Most Dangerous Game because that falls apart. It, it has a serious woman problem that she's just there and you introduce her in the beginning and she's a brilliant person and then she becomes an idiot. And that's a huge problem because <laughs> she becomes completely agencyless. You know, you've, you've introduced our male lead as he's also brilliant. Why is he an idiot then the entire movie? That movie could use a remake with yeah. some twists. Um, take a silent movie and make it a talkie. You know, but don't take something where everyone is just going to compare it to the classic. And I also don't know who on earth could be Dora Lee. I know she's Dolly Parton's one of a kind. And it, yeah, just you could close your eyes and hearing her voice. She's just so sweet and so mm-hmm. great. And 
even she when she walks a fine line and, and i don't know who who walks that line other than her still yeah even when she's getting harassed she's still very polite about it i guess mm-hmm. is what you could say um but I'd, I'd still be terrified of her. I mean, she's like, I got my gun in my purse. And yeah, um, yeah it's I, it, I don't it's know tough. who could be her. And and I think, you know, I agree with you 100%. Remakes drive me crazy um, unless you're enhancing something. I think horror films are awesome to be remade because of the technology. Yes. And you, you can always um, expand the story. That's why the Evil Dead series has been awesome for this for the one remake they had. And then this new one looks pretty incredible. Um, you, you can, can find new things in the story and do new adaptations. Absolutely. You can draw a lot of meaning from it. But if you're just doing a, a cash cow shot for shot remake and you're just gender swapping or race swapping, it's like, dude, come on. That's do something else. Yeah. Do something else for the sake of for the sake of this. I was thinking for me personally, um, if it ever got remade, uh, Judy to me could be Lupita Nyong'o, Florence Pugh, or Janelle Monet, who I love all three of them passionately. I think they're yes, they incredible are all actors. Amazing. Um, so for Violet, I was thinking someone more like Tony Collette or Taraji P Henson. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, because I think that they could both be funny, but also just have a, a sharp wit and and good timing. And I think that they would fill that Lily Tomlin role great. Um, but Dora Lee, Dora Lee's tough. And yeah. the only the only two I could think of, real, if I really dig down with it, it would be a Margot Robbie or Ana de Armas, um, because I think they're both strikingly beautiful and they can do comedy, which we've seen, mm-hmm. and the stuff that. They have to be like very sweet people that, yeah. you know, the other girls, the chattiness of, of the women in the office was so funny to me because they're just like, did you hear about Dora Lee? And, and I felt so bad for her because she's eating lunch by herself. And, you know, she asked Judy if she wants to get lunch and she's like, oh, I can't. And I just I was like, why are you guys so mean to her? It's, it's all rumors of sweetness. That... I know. Well, actually, so apparently um, in an interview, Lily Tomlin was talking about that scene and um Dolly Parton's assistant or uh, secretary was on set and this was a woman who had grown up with her. So mm. they're the same age. They'd, they'd grown up as, as really good friends. And she walked away from set that day because she was like, well, this is actually what it was like for Dolly growing up. Oh, wow. That because she looks the way she does, she got ostracized by so many other girls her own age because they were like, well, you know, look at her. She looks like a floozy. Oh, man. And, she grew up and she embraced that and she turned it into something and she is a brilliant woman, mm-hmm. but that must've fucking sucked. I know that's yeah. That part really, I was, I was sad. I was like, what the hell? Why are they so mean to her? I mean, it obviously that's accurate. That is what would have happened. Yeah. And in an office setting, you kind of create that family too. And for better or for worse, you, you argue, you love each other, but you, at the end of the day, you also dislike each other as well too. Mm-hmm. So um, that's cause that's all you do. You spend 40 hours a week there or, or more, but, um, yeah. Remember yeah. when jobs were nine to five and not <laughs> nine to six because I the know. lunch hour doesn't count. Oh gosh. Ugh. I know. <laughs> scam. So it's a scam, but really it's such a scam. It's so much more than that. Cause if you're commuting, it's really more like, I don't know. I'm in New York city, seven 30 to seven yeah. 30. Mm-hmm. It's like sweet. And especially in the winter time when it's dark from mm-hmm. like nine a.m. or it's, it's dark uh shit or i guess i should say yeah, light leave in the dark go home in the dark exactly Great that's what i'm trying to say it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if I were to only ever recast this movie, um, just for the sake of the discussion, Mr. Hart, I think could be played by John Hamm because he's a very handsome guy. And I think it would be exactly. And I think it would be good because it's like, uh, you know, the guy that played Mr. Hart in this, he is not like an attractive guy. So to get John Hamm to play it, it's it's just creepy because because he, he people who are attractive who, who do that, who uh, sexually harass women, think that they can get away with it. And it just makes yeah. me dislike them more. And I think yeah, that they that's think they what, can because they look so attractive that no one's going to yeah. call them out on it because it's like, well, why would I have to harass anybody? Look at me. Yeah, the entitlement, and mm-hmm. and I think that John Hamm would be great. Plus, when he gets his comeuppance and he gets you know tied up in the in the garage door opener so hang glider fun. thing, that would be awesome. And I think See, it would be hilarious. It does fall into a genre that I love: revenge. revenge. I love revenge movies. <laughs> <laughs> I do like a good revenge movie too. They are pretty excellent. I talked yeah. about Kill Bill earlier, and I think that's one of my favorite. Revenge I love movies. revenge. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> So um, speaking of revenge and dark tones, this film took some very fun, dark overtones at times, Mm -hmm. especially in the score. The score is great. It reminded me of Clue. I love the movie Clue. Um, Would you like to see this movie as a dark comedy or perhaps a horror film? See, I was just about to say, if it were to be remade, you'd have to do it as a different genre. Mm -hmm. Do it as a thriller, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do it entirely. And then you're not thinking about the same thing. Then it's like taking a play and adapting it a different way. That that could be fun. Would it take away from it a bit too much? So, for example, Total Recall is one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, based off the Philip K. Dick book. We can sell it to you. We can sell it to you wholesale. I think is what it's called. Uh, the movie itself, I love Arnold uh, unabashedly, but it, it's very, very smart because Paul Verhoeven directed it, and it, it's it's way more than just about um, you know shoot 'em up action up gore. It's it's the over sensationalization of it, and and. Mm-hmm. Um, basically our society, how we like to purchase things and we don't give a fuck about anything. Anyways, they remade it later on with Colin Farrell, Jessica Biel and um, Kate Beckinsale. It was not good because they took a serious tone with it. So that'd be my scare with this movie is it's fun. And I would consider this probably more of a dark comedy as it is, but, Mm -hmm. but not as serious of a dark comedy. And so I'm nervous if they remade it into a, into like a stronger dark comedy, it would lose its kind of message or playfulness. I, I don't think it would be as playful. That's definitely true. It would be an entirely different thing. I think you could do it as a very dark thriller. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you'd shorten it a little bit to keep it more palpable dread the entire time, make it much more of an anxiety trip. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and you would cast in an entirely different direction. Yeah. And I, I, I'm thinking immediately when you said thriller, I'm thinking of the hospital scene when they steal the body. Mm-hmm, exactly. That could, that could be very like nerve wracking. Exactly. Um, That's the whole thing could be much more cat and mouse. Mm, yeah. And then when they get pulled over by the cop and she's like, yeah. I'm a doctor. <laughs> so it would really stupid. depend on, on the script, the cast, the score. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I would see it because I would like to see it, but I wouldn't hold my breath and I wouldn't be super optimistic. That's the only downside to it. But yeah, uh, yeah you can make this pretty dark. Like when they are dreaming about how to murder him. Exactly. Like I'm you- like, this is... I'm like, holy shit, what kind of movie is this? Yeah, it can get more graphic. <laughs> get and really he, graphic. He's awful. He deserves, he's yeah. terrible. He's, he's, he's really bad. And I, and I knew what was coming. I knew he wasn't going to give Violet the promotion. And I was like, of you course son not. of a bitch. 
it's just, uh, it, yeah. So that would be an interesting take. It would be fun if someone tried it. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily jump on it right exactly. away to watch it, though. So exactly. let's go. Let's go back to to the queen herself, Miss Dolly Parton. She's quite the amazing person, like we've been talking about. Uh, her humble attitude, her charitable actions, and her overall kindness. She's a shining example of a person who is universally loved. Her voice is wonderful and instantly recognizable, uh, even singing the famous titular song, 9 to 5. I think she did a superb job as Dora Lee, the over overtly sexualized by Mr. Hart, secretary with a heart of gold. This time, the act of casting a famous singer in a lead role really worked. Mm -hmm. There are many other examples of this working, and there are also examples of it not working. How do you feel about singers being cast in lead roles in film? Oh, you could be fine. It's, I mean, it depends. Is it, you know, are you just doing it for their name? Um, or, I mean, this was a case where they made the role for her. Oh, I didn't Spec know that. Mm -hmm. That's that's that makes way more sense now. Yeah, uh, Jane Fonda, when developing the movie, always wanted Lily Tomlin to be Violet. And when she was thinking about the other character, um, the way she tells it is she was thinking about the script. She turned on the radio and heard Dolly Parton. She goes, "That's it. Has to be her." <laughs> awesome. So it was. It the role was directly tailored to her. Hmm. Okay, great. I mean, she saw what everybody else sees. Like, we need Dolly. We need yeah, more Dolly. <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't like they wrote it that way and then brought her on. It was they wrote the part specifically to be played by her. Hmm. Okay. But what about other singers? Like, what do you what do you think about roles where you see a, a movie trailer and you're like, wait, what? They're they're in this. You know, this this singer is in it. Um, how do you feel about those? Well, I think some have proven that they can actually act. Lady Gaga. Yeah. Um, and some have, and, and you know what? I love Cher. Cher can also, <laughs> yeah. I, Cher can act. Um, and then you have things like burlesque with Christina Aguilera or, um. <laughs> and Cher. <laughs> yes. Or glitter with Mariah Carey. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So really it's a case of, it really depends. Um, and it, it also, because some, pop stars personas as who they are as a singer is so big you can't divorce that from them when you see them on screen and that's something that Dolly Parton knew that it had to be a part that was tailored to her already because no one is she's not gonna unglam herself no one's gonna be able to divorce her from who she is mm -hmm. she is such a presence um whereas Cher she is such a presence but she's also been able to just kind of take off that that shareness, that share persona, and be characters as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like in Mask and in Moonstruck, mm -hmm. um, and the Witches of Eastwick. The, the Witches of Eastwick. Those are all characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I made a list because I I just I love lists, but th these are some of my favorite singers that went to to acting or just went into a role. But Madonna for sure. Um, she has had some duds, but I think that. Um, I absolutely love A League of Their Own. It's one of my favorite sport she's movies of all time. Right? Yeah, and she's she's so good in that movie. All the way, May. Uh, Lady Gaga again, A Star Is Born. She really found her foothold. Even American Horror Story, I think she was great in. Ice Cube when he was in Boys of the Hood, he really took off. Oh, yeah. He did yeah, a lot of family can. movies, but I mean, I love the Friday movies, and it's just he's he's done a fantastic job. Eminem in Eight Mile. Um, 
unabashedly love that movie so much. I think he was great in it. Meatloaf. I mean, come on. Meatloaf was (laughs) so great. That is a great, that's just a great performance. Yeah. Eddie, like he was just, he was great. And then of course, Miss Whitney Houston. Um, Yes. She, but she, Whitney Houston was just, I mean, she plays a singer and just like you were saying, she's such a presence that you can't just put Whitney Houston into something. I know she did other movies and did a good job, but but she's still. Also the fairy godmother in Cinderella. She was. The best Cinderella live action movie. With in Brandy. my opinion. Yes, yeah. it's the best one. That is a good one. <laughs> so I, I'm always perplexed why they never gave even a line for Victor Garber to sing. Everybody else sings, and they're all singers, and Victor Garber is an amazing singer. He's a Broadway dude. Why didn't they give him anything? <laughs> anyway, that's my one gripe. <laughs> oh, I agree <laughs> with the movie with you. we're not talking about. <laughs> no, it's it, it makes sense. But you, I think you nailed it with the presence thing. I mean, I, I think about that now. Whitney Houston is such a presence, so you can't just put her into a film and be like, okay, you're a drug, you're a drug exactly. addict. It's like, no, you're a larger-than-life celebrity or whatever, and it's because she commands that presence, and I love it so much. Yep. Um, some of the worst acting I've seen from from singers comes from Britney Spears, like in Crossroads. Oh, yes, though um, I do have a soft spot for that movie. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because my sisters, they had a soft spot for that movie too. I watched it because I was like infatuated with Britney. I always thought she was so hot. But like, it's just one of those, that movie, I'm like, this is terrible. It is. <laughs> it's it's, a, a, it's a generational thing. I rewatched yeah. it actually with my best friend a couple of years ago. And we were like, yeah, no, this isn't amazing or anything. <laughs> but you know what? It <laughs> It hits. It hits. Yeah. There, there are some themes that I totally did not remember were in the movie because I was so young when when I first saw it when it came out, mm. and then rewatching it in my twenties, I was just like, I totally <laughs> forgot all of these plot lines. Wow, that's really dark. Yeah, <laughs> it's really dark. <laughs> yeah. So that uh, Fifty Cent, I think he, you know, Get Rich or Die Trying, and then other movies, he's just really not a good actor. Um, same thing with yeah. LL Cool J. LL Cool J plays like the same character in every movie. You know um, who I love? Method the, Man. He's, I, I actually like him a lot. So I'm rewatching The My Wire. I just laughed in the background. <laughs> <laughs> he so, had a thing about how he got really hot. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I I mean, I'm rewatching The Wire and it's one of my favorite shows of all time. And he plays Cheese in that show. And he even does the 20th anniversary podcast. But um, love Method Man. He I mean, has great comedic timing. Yeah, he's he, so funny. He was in the show on Netflix called Teenage Bounty Hunters, mm-hmm. where he plays like this rival bounty hunter. He was so good. Yeah, he does. He does a really good job. I, I agree with you. Um, it's pretty awesome. Him, Redman and RZA, like they both they both yeah. done pretty awesome stuff since Wu-Tang. But um, and then uh, Harry Styles, I think, is is terrible at acting. Um, I, I don't know what it is. He's a great singer. Um, handsome face. He just when he was in Don't Worry, Darling, he was terrible. <laughs> Not much going on behind the eyes. No, I was like, dude, you put any other white guy in this role and they would have done better than him. He just also that you were up against Florence Pugh and she she is she She is amazing. She's my queen. She's so talented. Oh, my God. Also, his role didn't really make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. From a writing perspective. But yeah, it against her and Chris Pine. Mm. Yeah, he was probably one of the things I disliked the most about that movie. Um, which is a bummer because he's, you know, uh, opposite Florence Pugh. And it's like he should be doing more or at least feeding off of her energy. But she's the only thing that saved that movie for me in a sense of not absolutely hating it. But um, yeah, yeah. so I think that it it can work if you have the right direction and the right Mm -hmm. material like you're talking about, you know, um, 
otherwise, what are you going to do? It's you're going to exactly. wait, you're going to waste talent or you're going to come on and it's going to be glitter with Mariah Carey. So <laughs> notoriously one of, you know, the worst reviewed movies ever. That's right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ooh, hard I think it got, you know, uh, unseated by another pop stars movie, Justin Bieber's documentary pop star never stop. Oh, <laughs> didn't Andy Samberg make like a parody of that? Yeah. Never, never stop stopping. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Those, uh, those lonely Island guys, they're pretty funny. Um, okay. Well, and then finally, so did you have any favorite moments from the movie nine to five? Oh yeah. 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 I mean a bunch, but one that just really sticks out for me is when, um, Judy is alone at the, at, um, Hart's house. I was about to say Dabney Coleman's house. That's a great name, by the way. It really Dabney is. Dabney Coleman. That's Dabney what it Coleman. is. Yeah. His name is so great. He's still alive. He's 91. But anyway, hmm. and her her ex-husband comes by and he finds uh, oh. Hart all trussed up in the bedroom <laughs> yeah. and he walks on. He's like, you're into BDSM now? And she goes, yeah, I can. I smoke pot and I can do the M&Ms whatever I want. <laughs> 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 Just her saying M&M's instead of BDSM. <laughs> I love Jane Fonda so much. And she was so funny in this. Yeah, she's like, I think I'm I think I'm high. I think I'm stoned. And she's yeah. just so good in it. And I yes, I chuckled very hard at that part when she's I like, really, M&M's? Yeah, I really <laughs> so laughed stupid. at the M&M's. <laughs> oh. And he just looks at her like, is that some newfangled drugs the kids are doing these days? She's like, yeah, the M&M's. <laughs> Her ex is a real tool. That guy was such oh. a piece of shit. Oh yeah, he's he is just another creep. Yeah, the, the creep galore and his stupid like sailor outfit that he wears when he he's comes an back. Asshole. Yeah, his Fuck ascot. <laughs> Do you have any other favorite scenes? Um, I mean, that's what came to mind first, just because the M and M's. Um, but uh, Dolly Parton's revenge fantasy. Oh yeah, it's just so funny. It's so funny. She cooks him. <laughs> yeah, well, when she just like rides into the office on a horse, and she's in the full-on cowgirl getup. It's it's perfect. And it's also there's just something so cathartic about watching her do, you know, treat him the way he's been treating her for all these years, and seeing him get uncomfortable. And it's like, yeah, how do you think it feels, asshole? You know, I've only really been, well, not only but i mean there was one time in particular that sticks out that i was i was i don't, I don't know when I, I was objectified i should say at work uh very very obviously by these two older women um and i was a manager at target and i was walking around i was like oh you find everything okay and you know they were looking for mouthwash or something and i helped them find it and they're like oh yeah they're like what are you doing later i was like oh i'm just you know, working work the store can I help you find anything else though and they're like well you can come over here and you can like you can see us later or something. I'm like, no, 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 you know, that's okay. I got to take care of the store. And they're like, you sure are really sexy. And I'm like, okay, yep, I'm going to go. It was weird. I felt uncomfortable. They were laughing. They might've been a little intoxicated, but I still was like, even if it's a joke, I just was like, oh God, I don't, you're putting someone in a position where they're at work and now you're, you're making them uncomfortable. It's disgusting. Yeah. I was just, I just felt chills and I'm like, I don't like this. It's not one bit. (laughs) Um, But that's also, I think that kind of goes to the point that I made earlier about the older woman at the office who is just like well maybe you shouldn't dress that way mm-hmm. is is you do occasionally meet people who are like well i can't you know it doesn't work in reverse yes it does mm-hmm. 
you you can still make a guy feel really uncomfortable. It totally works in reverse. Mm-hmm. I I know what you mean. Um, other scenes. Do you remember the character Margaret, the one who was always drunk? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, oh yes, that was great when she turns up at the end. So but I also good. loved her. <laughs> you go, girl. You, yeah. Atta girl. She's like at a girl. Says it to all three of them. I was yep. laughing so hard. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, yeah. Yeah. The look girl. on her face. She's just like at a girl. <laughs> but then at the end, she's like, yeah, I got sober actually. I know. Because you know, the office really changed, and you helped me out. That was so awesome. He's like, I don't even recognize you. <laughs> she was a completely different person. Um, yeah, the fantasy killing scenes were were so fun and brilliant. Um, Lily Tomlin's one with the the Disney characters and everything, and her dress like <laughs> Snow White. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the stealing the body scene, like I was telling you about, because it was full on uh, Violet just being crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, we, this went zero to hundred really quick. Um, and you know, that's what you jump to is just to steal a body. Crazy don't, stuff. Don't even check the face. Don't check the tag <laughs> on the foot to see what it says. And usually in movies, that's a trope I don't like is when you overhear something like we omnipresent as a, as a person watching it knows like that's obviously not the right body. But what Lily Tomlin's character is hearing is them talk about, oh, it was poison probably. And oh, we're going to autopsy the body. And so obviously it sets up everything. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, why not check the face or something yeah, really yeah. quick? Check the tag. The tag check has the a tag. Name. Yeah, exactly. So it did make for a, a good moment in the film, though. I really liked it. Um, and then finally, when they when they bought the final trap for him, uh, his whole setup, like they go to the sporting goods store yes. and you kind of see them looking at everything. I was like, what does this even do? And then the first oh, time you get to see Dolly use it and he gets pulled up, I'm like, that's awesome. It's just so <laughs> much fun. Yeah. He they should have just so left him hanging. Stupid. Yeah. He's, a, he's, he's such an idiot, but they should have just left him hanging, in my opinion. No, they were being nice. They were letting him use the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, because they probably didn't want to clean that up. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, those are those are great moments, but um, cool. OK, so that's actually all I have for question wise. A um, lot of fun with that. But I am going to ask your hottest take so you can choose one. Defend your hottest or most controversial take on this movie, on movies of the genre, on actors, on whatever from something based off of this movie. So go ahead and spit it. I think the ending is a little underwhelming. I agree with you. Yeah, and that was my only thing that I, I was really want to see him punished. Yeah. And yes, I know he doesn't want to go to Brazil, but for his like ultimate punishment to just be a postscript, like I want to see them win. I want to see a scene where they win. And it, it feels kind of like they, they ran out of where to write. And I think that they could have cut a little more in the middle to really write out another plan at the end. That, I, see, I yeah. absolutely agree with you. I think that for an hour and 46 minute movie, for them to end it at just that, and that's the payoff, like, hey, I'm the boss, you did 20% increase, you're going with us to Brazil. What? It just seems so weird. Yeah. I thought he needed, it, we needed more of a conclusion, or conclusion, yeah. I should say. Um, and the exposition at the end with the narr- yeah, the, the write over is very interesting. It's like, oh, okay, he got kidnapped by Amazon. That's funny, but whatever. It's now not a satisfying a racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's I not very also, his demise should be at their hands. I agree. You know, they, they've earned it. What, what do you think they should have done to him? 
I don't even know. I mean, I, I liked their plan about him going to jail. Yeah. Uh, you know, really take everything from him. Convince his wife that he's a creep. You know, it's that. It's set it up to really take everything and mm-hmm. make him feel, you know, what he's been doing. I think in a situation, and this is like a trope that's been used before too, but maybe like an intercom popped on when he was in the office as he's talking about his elaborate plan or, you know, I'm going to get you all in, in prison. It doesn't matter if I shorted the company millions of dollars for inventory and if I've been hitting on you um, mm-hmm. uh, behind my wife's back and all this kind of stuff. And then just so happens a cop is there or whatever and they arrest him. I I, I did yeah. want to see him arrested and then I, expunged. I just don't know that he ever feels as humiliated as mm-hmm. he makes them feel. Yeah. Like it's super funny to see him trussed up. But I also think in those scenes, he just feels angry and it's not like there's anyone else there to laugh at him. So it just, I, I just need another beat. I, I need him to actually lose with everything he's put them through and he's stealing from the company. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't really pay. He gets a promotion technically. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It was, you know, the ending when it did end, I'm like, Oh, that was it. Yeah. That's, that's my biggest, that that's where it falls apart. I agree with you on that. And that was, yeah, that was such a bummer because I was having a lot of fun, but Mm -hmm. I think they could have trimmed a little bit in the second act. And then the third is where it really kind of started to flounder a bit. Yeah. So interesting. Fantastic. Okay. Well, that was awesome. So with that being said, what do you grade this movie? And then do you have any final thoughts? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe like a B minus. Which I think, it, yeah, this is exactly what the Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it's a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoy the premise. But given what I just said a moment ago, I, I it's not in the A territory. So I'm right. I'm, I'm there with you. I'm a little bit higher. I'm a solid B um, because I just had a really fun time with the three main characters. But yes, at the end, I'm like, oh, what? That's it. It, just, it ends? Yeah. And we get to see the stuff at the house and it's, it, it, it's funny for a bit, but it seemed like it, it seemed like it didn't really work. Um, the body thing, I think they should have stuck with them taking the body and then start to spiral from that because them going back to the office and telling the plan in the bathroom mm-hmm. and that all that, and him, Mr. Hart finding out about it, it just didn't really work for me. I kind of wanted to see something else happen. I wanted um, them to but, actually make the conscious decision to say, wait, you know what? This wasn't his body, but Let's get revenge. Yeah. I wanted it to be a more, and I remembered it actually as a more active revenge. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think yeah. I want it to be, an active revenge, where they mm. they went in with a plan. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, fantastic. Um, a whole lot of fun. Amanda, always great to have you on the show. Um, what do you, do you have anything final to say? Anything to add? Where can we find you on the social medias? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Amanda Jane Stern. If Twitter implodes, I think I have a post, a hive, and a mastodon. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they're all at Amanda Jane Stern. <laughs> well, there you go. So basically that. Um, I'm on TikTok, also at Amanda Jane Stern. I don't TikTok that much. My nine-year-old sister just followed <laughs> me on TikTok, and that's really weird. Ooh, <laughs> all those fun dances you're doing, probably. Oh, well, she does them all. I I just like post weird stories occasionally. <laughs> occasionally, there she you texts go. me and she goes, "Like my TikTok video," and I'm just like, "Oh my god, I'm barely ever on this app. I like never check it." <laughs> yeah, cool. 
Well, great having you on. You're always welcome. I love talking film with you, and I'm very excited for Perfectly Good Moment. Thank I'm excited you. to see what else you're going to do. It's going to be a blast. So yeah. always, yeah. I, it's always a good time coming on your podcast. Hell yeah. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod at ZachDale60, uh, where you can share your thoughts and you can give us film suggestions. You can also tell us if we're crazy or you can just send funny memes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy. Bye.